So I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 14, verses 15 through 20, and um, my Sunday school class might laugh because I'm going to read from the Amplified. I'm always saying to them, if you don't understand it, just go to the Amplified. Um, So if we can stand, I had to learn, I was not raised in the church, so I had to learn coming in. I also ask a lot of questions, so I was like, why do we stand up? Why do they always ask you to stand up when you read your Bible? But it's out of respect and reverence for God's word, what he's given us here, kind of like taking your hat off. So when evening came, the disciples came to him and said, this is an isolated place and the hour is already late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here except five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. When he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. Thank you. You can all sit. So this is a small portion from a very well-known story in the Bible. You may have heard it called Jesus Feeds the 5,000 or the story of the five loaves and two fishes. Um, and recently there's been a couple aspects of this story and the surrounding context that stood out to me. Um, in your own time, if you want richer understanding and some more details, you can read uh, Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, and Luke chapter 9 on your own. Um, but Jesus had spent three years on this earth with his disciples, teaching them. And if you read through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get an idea of what it was that Jesus was teaching them. He taught them that there's power in the word of God that there's strength and humility. He taught them how to forgive and how to ask for forgiveness. He taught them how to pray. He taught them to be compassionate and loving, but also to be steadfast and unwavering for truth, to be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves, as he called it. Essentially, he taught them how to interact with their fellow man and how to interact with their God. He was teaching them what it truly looks like to live as a child of God, He was also teaching them and training them to go out to everyone around them and begin to do the same. As Christians, most of us know we are called to be disciples of Jesus. We're called to follow him, to learn from him. But did you know that we're also called to disciple others? What we've coined as the Great Commission, which is found in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, is Jesus telling his disciples, go and teach everyone what I've taught you. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Then it's time to go. So prior to this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, Jesus had sent his disciples out in groups of two. Um, I like to think of it as like boots-on-the-ground ministry training. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, Jesus gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure disease, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. They were basically out kicking down doors and taking names. And when they had uh, when they had finished, we read in Mark uh, chapter six verses thirty and thirty one that they came back to Jesus basically to tell him, "Here's what we did. This is what we taught the people. This is what happened." And verse thirty one, Jesus says to them, "Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat." So imagine all the disciples going out into these towns and cities, and they're praying for people. People are getting healed and delivered. They're teaching about Jesus. They're teaching people about the kingdom of heaven. And this caused such a stir amongst all the people that people were flooding to them looking for something. 
So Jesus, again, teaching them this balance of work and rest, he says, come on, let's go away and get some rest. Sometimes there are days as a mother um, that I feel like this. <laughs> it's been a hard day. There are days you wake up and you just know it's going to be a difficult one, and you're like, I just need a moment alone with the Lord. I need some refreshing There's days, you know, you wake up and, like, one kid has wet the bed. Everybody was up all throughout the night. You're late getting the kids to school. Your daughter's hair is a mess, but there's no time to do anything about it. You finally get to the car, and there's no gas, and then you spill your coffee, and your toddler's throwing fits in the grocery store, and then the handle of your grocery bag breaks, and you break your eggs. (laughs) And your husband's stressed out at work, so he complains about how messy the house is. And then you take all this time cooking a dinner for all your family, and nobody even likes it. (laughs) So it's those days. I don't even wait for Jesus to say, like, come on, come away with me. I just go to the next room that has a lock on the door. I go lock myself in there. And even just a little bit of time with Jesus is refreshing. (laughs) So... They get in a boat, which ends up being their only time alone with Jesus. They're going to this isolated place that Jesus said, come away, let's go rest. Um, And they go to this deserted, isolated place, thinking that they're going to get more alone time with Jesus. They're going to, you know, be alone with him and be fed and filled. And they get there, and are they alone? You guys know the story? No. There's over 5,000 people there still looking for them, still needing something. It's like that moment at the end of the day that I just explained where, like, you've finally gotten all the kids to just stay in a bed. I don't care what bed you're in. The light's off. You're staying there, and they're finally quiet. And you, like, get to your room, and you're like, Lord, your mercies are new every day. Just let's just be done with this day and have a new one. And you just want to pass out, and then, like, all of a sudden you hear it. The crying begins, the fighting begins, the thump on the floor, and like they're all in your room crying and fighting, and everybody needs something. Um, And then, uh, okay, sorry. (laughs) I'm just thinking, you know, like you pick your kids up from school, and you get in the car, and you're like, how was your day? And they're like, it was good. Okay, what was good about it? It was just good. And then it's like 9 o'clock at night, and they should be asleep, and like, they want to give you every single detail of their entire day, or like that dinner that they didn't want to eat, because like, well, I'm not hungry. Now they're starving. So, anyway. (laughs) But... (laughs) Yes. But Jesus is a loving father. And he looks at this crowd of over 5,000 people with compassion. Mark 6.34 says he saw them as sheep with no shepherd, and so he began to teach them. Did you know that Jesus still looks at us today with that same compassion? He has the ability to see our hearts and say, they're just lost. They just need a little direction. They just need someone to teach them. So he used this moment to teach his disciples another lesson. So remember, the disciples had just had this intensive experience demonstrating power and authority. And now Jesus says to them, let me teach you another way. Let me teach you gentleness and compassion and servanthood. So it gets late. The disciples suggest to Jesus that they send all the people away so they have time to get to town, get some food. And Jesus says, no, don't send them away. You feed them. He takes the little bit that the disciples had and he blessed it so that just those five loaves of bread and two fish were able to feed over 5,000 people with leftovers. 
There's a little detail in here that caught my attention. Jesus doesn't just multiply the food and then distribute it to the people or lay it out so everybody can get come get their portion. He gives the food to his disciples, and he has his disciples give it out to the people. Just as Jesus had previously sent them out with power and authority, he was now sending them out to feed the multitude. So as Christians, we are called to teach others how to follow Jesus. We are called to feed the multitude. All of you that were here in attendance on Tuesday, and I'll put a plug in, if you weren't here in attendance on Tuesday, and I know most of you weren't because it's not this full on a Tuesday night, you want to be here. Change your schedule around. It's worth it. I promise you. (laughs) So Tuesday evening, those of you that were here, what was the thing that was essential for Adam and Eve to consume? The seed. Thank you. What was the seed? It was the word of God. So we know from John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I think of the story of Peter and Jesus. You can read in John uh, chapter 21, verses 15 through 7. And Jesus repeats three times to Peter, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. Jesus is calling us to go out to the multitude and teach them. He's calling us to feed them with the word of God. He's calling us to lead them to the one who can satisfy their souls. He's saying, they're just lost. They don't have any direction. There's no vision. They need someone to teach them. One of the most awesome things about having children is seeing the different personalities and characteristics that two people's DNA can create. So before we had kids, we couldn't imagine, like, what our oldest would be like. And then he was born. It was like, well, how could he be anything other than what he is? And then we were going to have another one. It was like, how can there be another one? Like, how can they be any different than just this first one? And then, like, and a girl. Like, what is that going to be? And then we had a boy and we had a girl. And that's exactly, yes, it's exactly right. They're exactly who they should be in God. And then, like, well, we're going to have another one? Like, how can another boy be any different than the boy we already have? But they can be, trust me. Just spend a little time with my youngest and you'll understand. <laughs> um, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But did you know that this isn't just a general, one-size-fits-all word of wisdom? <clears throat> my husband and I have always remembered this with the emphasis on train up a child in the way he or she should go recognizing that the way my eldest son relates to and connects with God and the giftings and talents that God wants to use in his life are going to be different, very different, in fact, of the giftings and talents and the way my daughter connects with God. And it's us as the parents to lean into those unique characteristics that God has given them. But it's the same way with each person that God puts in our lives to disciple. Each of them has a different calling. Each of them has a different talent to be used in the kingdom. Each of them is going to relate to and connect to God in different ways. And it's within us to lean into that and sometimes even cast that vision for them. There are people who are lost and wandering with no direction. What would happen if we started looking at people with the vision that God sees them with? What if we started seeing the, the woman or man that comes in here off the street, they've never known God, and what if we started seeing them as the next pastor, the next missionary, the next Sunday school teacher? 
I was very fortunate early on in my walk with God to be connected with my pastor's wife at the time, and she truly took me in and raised me as one of her own. She discipled me like a mother. She travailed in prayer for me. I'm sorry. That I would make life decisions that would lead me closer to God. She brought me into her home. She taught me how to walk with Jesus. She showed me what it looked like to live as a Christian woman. I know I probably kept her up some nights, like that newborn baby crying all night. I'm sure I kept her up at times. I'm sure she wondered if we were ever going to make it past this infancy phase, if I would ever eat anything other than milk. At some point when it became clear that there was most likely a future between my now husband and I, um, she looked at me and she said, Robin, I'm going to teach and train you as I would mentor a young pastor's wife because that man has a call to pastor someday. And if you think you're going to marry him, you're going to need to be ready. (laughs) And you can imagine like the deer in the headlights look I gave her. I had just been in the church like maybe two years at that point. And I was like, okay. But I'm thankful to God. I stand here before you today because somebody was willing to take of her time to pour her energy and time into me. And make herself available to to fulfill that great commission, to go out and make disciples. I know this is not at all a typical Mother's Day message. whole time God's giving me this, I couldn't get away from this uh, this fact of discipleship. And I'm like, but Lord, i got to connect this to motherhood somehow. It's Mother's Day. So I'm trying to make the connection that just the way that we give our all to our own children, to teach and train them up to know God, are we willing to give of ourselves to teach and train up God's children? At the end of the day, yes, my children, my family, they rank like number one and a half, like just under Jesus in my life. And yes, he's called me to the ministry of motherhood and raising these kids. And yes, I would to God that they would know him for themselves someday. And I will pour everything I have into them. But my children are not the only ones that I'm called to disciple. There is a multitude out there who are lost and wandering. They have no vision. They have no direction. Yes, it's hard work, and yes, at times it's going to seem all-consuming, but going back to that story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, the disciples, remember, were tired and hungry. They had just had that intensive, like, boots-on-the-ground ministry training. Mark 6.31 said they didn't even have time to eat. But after giving of themselves, they took what little bit that they had. They brought that to Jesus, and they watched as God miraculously multiplied it. Matthew 14.20 says they all ate and were satisfied. The disciples themselves were made full through feeding the multitude. I feel Jesus calling us today saying, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. So today, if you've never found, if you've never been under somebody's teaching and direction in the church, you've never had a mentor, you've never had somebody teaching you the way, Don't leave here today without finding someone. Say, teach me the word of God. I need to be fed the word of God. I don't know how to do this. I don't know what it looks like to be a Christian. Find someone. And if you're here and you've never taught and trained up somebody else to know and love the Lord, go and find someone. Put yourself next to them. Put your arm around them and walk this life with them. Truly, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Let's go make disciples. Whether you're a mother or you're not a mother, that message applies to you, amen? Praise God. 
Well, I won't be before you very long. I, I, I really enjoyed listening to Sister See uh, Sister Hatton, I knew you had it in you. <laughs> the Lord laid it on our hearts to ask her, and I think that's the first of many opportunities that you're going to speak before people. But um, I want to give honor to all of our mothers today, and, uh, every single one of you. I thank God for being head of my life. I thank God for a wonderful husband. I thank God for my mother, who is no longer with, with, with me. And um, uh, I, I give her honor because she taught me everything I know. And I, I left her when I was about 21 years old, 22 years old, to come here to America. And that's all I had, was what she had sewn into me. And that's what's kept me really with the Lord, with the Lord's help. That's what's kept me today, putting those principles forward. So I give her honor today. I know she's probably listening. And then I also want to honor, before I start, I want to honor Mother Brownie. And uh, I've had a just hard time back there today, just very emotional today, because I realize, you know, what it, what it means to sow into somebody and to be an example to someone. And... Uh, before I start, you know, Mother Brownie was very particular about who her children, her son, would interact with. And uh, she held up the scepter to me. I was so thankful she allowed me to approach. Uh, if anyone knew Mother Brownie, she was a very, uh, she no-play person. She did not play. And so um, I do give her honor and all that she's sown into this ministry is because of Bishop Brownie and Mother Brownie. This church is standing today, and of course the Lord, but it's because of their fasting, their prayer, their sewing into people. And when we took this church over, we did not know how they did what they did. Because many of you know, just to keep the lights on and the heating going per month is over a thousand dollars. How did they do that with a handful of I don't know? It must have been God. God had to have meant for this church to be here. For, 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 for them to survive what they did. And so I thank God. I thank God for all the pioneers that have gone before me, Sister Mary, Sister Deborah, all those that were there before me. I just give honor today. And uh, my message won't be very long, but um, if we can just uh, stand and um, I'll read a scripture. But I just felt I had to do that first. Uh, amen. Praise God. Father, I thank you for this opportunity, O oh God. I am not worthy, but you are worthy, O oh God. I ask you to anoint these lips of clay. I ask you to use me, that your words come forth. I've got notes written here, but God, whatever you desire, Lord God, let it come forth. Let it be a blessing to someone today. Let it touch a life. Let it strengthen a life. Let it change a life. I yield myself to you right now, God. Let your anointing and your presence take over in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. All right. Then. So, um... <laughs> If you can have our Bibles, uh, and if you can put on the screen. I'm going to take my scripture from James 1, 7 and 8. Um, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Amen. Praise God. And my title of my message is Doing It God's Way. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. <laughs> I'm going to need that, okay? <laughs> um, okay. Um, 
As I said, I just give honor uh, to God. My story today is about Oprah and Ruth. Many of you are very familiar with these two ladies in the Bible. And of course, Naomi, who was um, her mother-in-law, their mother-in-law. And I can truly say that I have been all three of these women. I've been Oprah, and I had to leave my mother. I have been Ruth, and I'm probably walking through my Naomi version right now. So um, this is what the Lord kind of um, gave to me. The story, the background of this um, story is that all three obviously are in the land of Moab, and the Moabites were descendants of Lot. And um, if you want uh, one of the history on that, um, this uh, nation was formed from an incestuous relationship. Of course, Lot and his eldest daughter had a child. And that's how the nation of Lot came. So they were an incestuous nation. They were also um, in a very, very fertile land where it, uh, it was very green, very luscious. They had everything that very industrious. But God was not pleased with Moab. And um, they had gotten so independent, so proud, that they had begun to put other gods above him. And they felt they didn't need Lord Jehovah. And so God was not pleased with them. And he said to the Israelites, I don't want you intermarrying with them. I don't want you to have anything to do with them. Another thing they did was when the Jews were exiled and they were walking through their land, they forbid them to do that. They were the nation that called uh, Balaam to curse Israel. And so this specifically, if you want to pull up Ezra 9 and 13, please. It says, Ezra 9 and 13, it says, Now therefore, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it in as for an inheritance to your children forever. So they were specifically instructed, the uh, the Jews, not to intermarry with the Moabites. This is the beauty of this story. Amen. But we find that Naomi, Oprah, and Ruth are living in Moab because Naomi's husband had decided to go down from Bethlehem to Moab because there was a famine in Bethlehem. And of course, I said that Moab was a very green, lustrous place, and they went down there for sustenance. They went down there for food. And so they find themselves there, and um, Elimelech, he dies. Naomi is left with no husband, but she has her two sons, and they marry Moabitess women, which is strictly forbidden. And then they die. And I said to myself, how come this happened? But I believe that when you go against what God tells you to do, nothing good can come of it. Amen? And today we're talking about doing it God's way. Let us read and listen and uh, find out what is the meaning of Opa. She was one of the daughters of, of uh, daughter-in-laws of Naomi. She grew up in Moab, so she was used to all of their idolatry. She was used to their their different ways. And um, also Ruth the same. Yet their two were very, very different. Orpah's name means gazelle or fawn, which also means double-minded and quick to run away. A gazelle, if if you approach a gazelle, it's quick to flight, it's quick to run away. The root word of Orpah is oref, which means nape of the neck or stiff-necked, which means that it's resistant, stubborn. Israel was called a stiff-necked people. That was the name of Orpah. That was her name. Um, 
and we look at Ruth's name. Ruth's name is, uh, means companionship, friendship from the root reuth, sight, something worth seeing, one who is fed and feeds others. So both young ladies grew up in the same place, but their names, even from the get-go, have different meanings. We find that when that their husbands die, that Naomi says, okay, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And she says to the two of them, you don't want to come with me. I, I can't give you any more sons. I'm old in age now. There's nothing here for you. And Orpah, she begins to weep. And then she says, okay, I'm going to go back to what I know. Yet Ruth, if we can get that scripture, uh, Ruth 1.14, Ruth 1.14, let's bring that up there. Ruth 1.14. It says, they both wept aloud, lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And so by saying this, I'm trying to make this for Mother's Day. Isn't it oftentimes that we we will go back to what is easy, go back to what is logical, go back to what is, you know, you might have that difficulty. You, you go back to what you know, okay? And even though you're, you know, you, you, you're touched, you're emotional, yet you still go back to what you know. And I know I had that opportunity. Um, I did not have that opportunity, actually. It was cut, completely cut off. I, was, I had to, I had to, to uh, stand and to, to do what I knew was right. But many times we will, uh, though we even come to church, we are moved, we are touched, we weep, we cry, but then we go back to what we were doing before. Amen. And I think this is an example of, of what Orpah did. So she, she kissed her mother-in-law, though she wept, she went back to what she knew. Now, if you look in the Bible, there's only two scriptures of Orpah. There's only two scriptures of Orpah, and she's never mentioned again. And yet with Ruth, we find, if you look upon her, she was a childless widow at the beginning of the story, but then she becomes the great-grandmother of Israel's great king, David, and the ancestry of Jesus Christ. She chose to cleave to Naomi's God. She didn't know him when she was uh, growing up. That was completely strange to her. But, And I say to myself that Naomi and her husband must have poured into them, must have shown them, as, as um, uh, Sister Hatton was saying, something about what they poured into her caused her to say, I'm going to give up everything and I'm going to follow your God. I'm going to leave and I'm going to go with you. I want what you have. And as mothers, this is what we are called to do for our children. We are called to show them the God that we love. We are called to train them up, as was said, in the way that they should go. And we are called to, to, to show them this God that we believe so strongly in. So Ruth left and she went back with Naomi. And we come to find out that when Naomi got back to Bethlehem, that the family had turned around and... You know, there's no longer a famine. She probably should have stayed there in the first place is what I'm thinking. So often, sometimes we'll pray about something or our circumstances are so difficult. We're so ready to up and go and leave instead of just staying and standing and doing what we know God has called us to do. Amen. So I just want to pull some, very quickly, I want to pull some differences between Oprah and, and Naomi. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so we can't go by our circumstances. We can't go by what we see. 
And many times, and I've experienced this myself, we might have a child that is going wayward. We might have go through a difficult circumstances. The Lord, I believe, allowed a famine in Bethlehem. Maybe he was saying, are you going to stand? Are you going to stay? Are you going to wait and see what I can do? Or are you going to try and fix this yourself? And they obviously tried to fix They went all the way down to um, Moab, lost the husband, lost the two sons, and then ended up going back to Bethlehem. And it says that when they went back, everything had turned around. And when they went back, Naomi ceased from being bitter because she felt the Lord had, had just treated her so terribly. She began to, to, to see God's hand in this situation. So we see that Orpah made an intelligent choice. She made uh, uh, what she thought was an intelligent choice. I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm not going to follow this God that you tell me about. I'm going to do what I, I used to do. And so she made an emotional passionate, affectionate choice, but it wasn't the right choice. Ruth chose to be loyal, to be, de- to be reliable, to be faithful, to commit to what she knew was right. And we find that when Ruth left and she went to the fields of uh, Bethlehem, where it was a barley harvest, she began to glean. But that excellent spirit that was within her caused her to um, others to notice her. The other women there were flirting with the other men, but others noticed there's something special about her. So Boaz said to her, don't touch that young lady, and you provide for her. God will provide for you in the most difficult situation. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. Be faithful. Be committed. Don't waver. Amen? And so we find that Ruth, once again, ended up marrying Boaz and was the great-grandmother of of, uh, of, of uh, King David, who was, of course, the heir uh, to Jesus Christ. And so we see how important what you do now in your life now, with your children now, if you're married with your husband now, have that spirit of excellence. Do all that you know how to do with the very best that you can. Amen? Our faith is often tested. Are we going to go back to what we know is comfortable and correct? Are we going to stand and do what we know is right? The Bible says that God will never leave us or forsake us. If we choose to follow him and love him with our whole heart, he is a strong tower. In him, you are safe. You might be going through a dry season. Sometimes God allows those dry seasons. You don't know the strength of your faith until it's tested. Amen? And the Bible says that when you've done all you can do to stand, stand therefore, having the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Psalms 15.4, if I can get that up on the screen, it says, it says, sometimes we have to stand it to our own hurt, swear to our own hurt. Psalms 15.4 says, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Sometimes, as I my scripture before, sometimes you just got to make up in your mind no matter what comes, no matter what, even if it's to my own hurt, even if my children don't like me, even if my children, you know, want to cuss me out for me, but you stand, you stand, you stand. <laughs> Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, it says, whatsoever thy find thy hand to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, no device, no knowledge, no wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Mothers, I want to encourage you today, okay? Motherhood is not an easy thing. 
<laughs> Motherhood is not a, not, it gives me great joy to see Sister Franklin stand and Sister Lavinia and those. You can do this. You can do this. Amen. When you have those days that Sister Hatton would have talked about, find the Lord as your resting place, as your secret place. He will give you the strength to do what you need to do. Amen. Colossians 3.17, and says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Amen. So I just want to encourage you, when nobody's looking, you know, it'd be much easier to put that child in front of a TV or, or no, you do what is right when nobody's seeing what is right. And you will reap and you will see the reward of your hard work. Amen. I'm so happy to have three grown sons. All of them are serving the Lord. Amen. And it was those days when you had to change those diapers and when, you know, when they were getting on your last nose, when you did what was right because you knew it was right. When you showed them love, the, the, the love of Christ instead of, you know, we're human, but... Just keep on doing what is right when you don't feel like it. Amen. I just want to encourage you today to do that. The Bible says, Proverbs 3 and 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Amen. So I just want to encourage you today as mothers you know, it's hard out there. Children are confused. They're teaching transgender and all the other things. They don't know who they are. They don't know that. You, you have to show them. You have to show them. Don't be afraid to show them. They might not like you, and that's okay. You're not called to be their friend. You're called to be their mother. Amen. So I've kind of swayed from my message today, but I, 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 I just want to encourage you um, to, to just keep doing what you know is right, to never waver, okay? And, and even though nobody might see it, <laughs> you know, they might not see the things that you do and might not appreciate the things that you do, it doesn't matter. Do it as unto the Lord. He's the one that's seeing you and he will reward you. Amen? Okay. Amen. Come on. Amen. If you could stand with me, I'm, I'm not going to get be, be, between you and, and food. You all probably have your restaurant uh, reservations. We do have some more gifts for every single mother that's here today. Amen. But uh, before that, I just want to, I'm going to just do two minutes on your feet here. I just want to point out something that's very interesting that in, in, that in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, in Matthew, Matthew goes through all these men, you know, this one begat that one. But in the genealogy of Christ, he names five women. And when you look at their lives, they weren't the kind of women you would think should be called out. In fact, it's like he hesitates to even give the name. He doesn't call Bathsheba. He says, Uriah's wife. You know, he, he doesn't really want to give her two credit. But when you, when you look at these women, starting off with Tamar, who... Uh, was supposed to be married to Judah's son. And then you have Rahab. It's a picture of grace. Remember, it was five women that were called out. 
the number of grace. None of these women were, were perfect, but they turned out to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and then finally all the way down to Mary. And if you remember that Mary comes from the word bitter. We don't know what her life was like before the angel came. But we do know this, that she got the branch. And when you put the branch into the bitterness of your life, it can make a difference. Amen. Amen. We're not going to call you down to the altar, but I just want wherever you are right now, that we're going to pray and close this service, that you remember the mothers in your life, the people who have nurtured you. Somehow, the first two years of your life, someone fed you. Someone changed your diaper. I don't remember the details, and I am thank God I don't, but someone took care of us. Someone changed us. Someone fed us. And that is a symbol for God. He, he presents himself just as a mother that would care and would be the one. You know, in any court, no matter how terrible that person is, usually there's one person there that's asking for mercy. He could have been the worst murderer out. The mother will be there saying, please be merciful. I'm so glad that the, we serve a God is like a mother to us, is be merciful. Maybe you never had a great mother. Maybe you grew up without a great father, but today you can have both in Jesus Christ. I think Matthew was inspired to choose these five women and to point them out who two of them were Gentiles. One of them was, was accused of being a prostitute. One committed adultery, really. And then we have Mary, who was probably a, a teenage girl at the time. And it just shows you that you can't look at people and make a judgment because God chooses whom he wants to use. God chooses whom he wants to use. And each one of these these women could be a story and a Bible study all by themselves. I won't go into all of them. Um, but when I look at the names, things come to me. You know, Rahab is related to the name of this church. It means uh, uh, open. It means wide, to make room. Ruth, of course, was the Gentile bride, the one who came to, to Israel at the time of the barley harvest. And married Boaz at the time of the wheat harvest. You know, you know what that is signifying? The church. And of course, we know about Mary. Today we want to take what we're doing seriously. And not just come to church just because it's the thing to do on a Sunday. But to acknowledge the fact that he is our father and our mother. Amen. If it's appropriate, if you could lay your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you, right? If it's appropriate, lay your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. And we're going to close our eyes because we want our faith organ, our imagination to be stimulated as we close this service today. And I want you to pray for the person next to you. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know all their uh, needs today, but God does. He is our mother. He is the sufficient one. One of the titles of God is is. El Elyon, God Most High, and then the other one is the Sufficient One. 
And we're going to pray that he will give us the sufficiency of needs. Because the thing that the mother does is, is built for is to nurture, is to feed. And we want God to feed us with his word, with his uh, direction, with his counsel. So right now, I want you to just pray as I pray. Father, we ask right now, Jesus, as we lay hands on the person next to us, Lord, that you meet their needs today. That you be both a mother and father to them, Lord. That you will come into their lives in such a powerful way. That you will direct them this week, this month, this year, Lord God. Lead them in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, Lord. If they're going through a valley of the shadow, shadow of death, Lord. Be a comforter to them, Lord God. Lord, we ask right now for deliverance. We ask for healing. We ask for restoration, Lord God. We ask for comfort. Lord, we ask, oh God, that your salvation will be poured upon us without measure, Lord. Your grace will fill our every part of our lives. Lord, we come to you today, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah in humility. And we ask, oh God, for a special touch as we honor our mothers today. Lord God, we ask for a special touch, Lord Jesus. That our lives will be directed. That our lives will be in your genealogy. Lord God, that you will count us as part of the family. Lord God, we ask that your name be applied in every aspect of our walk, Lord God. At our workplace, at our homes, in our relationships. Lord, that you will direct us. Lord, that you will let your hand be upon us, Lord God. For good and for not for evil. Lord God, that you will lift us up. That you will stand us upon your promises. That your word will be our rock, Lord God. Hallelujah, that your Holy Spirit will be our garment. Lord God, that your righteousness will be our covering. Lord, we just lift you up today, Lord Jesus. We thank you right now for all that you have done. Let your word find good soil today. Let that seed be planted in our hearts, Lord God. Lord God, that you are a disciple like a mother, Lord God. Lord Jesus, we pray, oh God, for our children, Lord Jesus. Oh God, for the children of this church, Lord God, that you will be a mother and father to them, Lord. For those we have dedicated, those who we have baptized. Lord, we ask for your covering. We ask for your restoration and direction. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done. We ask for your blessing this week, Lord God, in every step we take, in every walk we make. Lord God, that you will cover us, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord God, that we will be there and ready when you call our name. Lord, we lift you up, Lord God. We exalt you, Lord Jesus, and we give you the honor and the glory. Hallelujah, 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 in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.